0: Hello and welcome to the Funds Fanatic Show. I'm joined on the podcast today by Matthew Tillett, who recently jumped ship from Allianz, where he managed portfolios, including the Brunner Investment Trust, to join Premier Miten and take over running the firm's 346 million UK value opportunities fund. Matthew, good to see you again. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, thanks for for joining us so soon into your new role. So you joined Allianz as a a graduate in 2006 and you've been there your entire investment career. What's behind
1: the move? Yeah, there's there's a few factors. I I think the first thing to say is that, you know, I'm a big believer in this industry that if you find something that, you know, you're good at and where you can really add value for clients, um, you should try and focus on that uh, as much as possible. And if you look at my uh, career history and my track record, it's really the UK uh, where I've added the most value. It's also what I really enjoy, I love doing. and you know this was, a, was an opportunity um, it's a great opportunity. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good fund um, that's got a good pedigree in the market um, and I can focus on it hundred percent. yeah I... there's also some aspects to do with with Premier the itself. Mm. I think it's a think it's a really great company It's, it's got an entrepreneurial culture uh, attracts a lot of talented people who have got interesting things to say. Uh, but also it's collegiate as well which is not always the case um, with, with smaller sort of boutique asset management firms um, was very important to me. Um, and that's particularly the case on the UK side as well, uh, which I think is going to be very helpful for me because we have got a lot more UK equity resource here than, than I ever had at, at Allianz. Right. You know, seven people looking entirely at UK equities you know, right down the market cap spectrum, which is, you know, very important to, for, for my approach. So I think I'm going to be able to Leverage it a lot and and, and get out a lot out of it to the the benefit of the fund. That's interesting. So despite Allianz Global Investors being a much larger global player, actually there's more UK dedicated resource. Yeah, from a, from specifically from a from a UK perspective. I mean, Allianz has got I mean, well, It's got fantastic resource and yeah. great investors. But we're talking here about quite a focused specific fund, uh, which is what I'm I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm going to focus on
0: okay and well we're going to get more into it but seven weeks into the job how's it been going so far
1: Go, going really well going really well yeah um uh, yeah it's, it's been as I hoped it would be as I described um just 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 then yeah um settling in well um got the fund where, where where I want it uh, and didn't need to do a huge amount of turnover um but partly because you know a reasonable amount of overlap in, in terms of Investment philosophy and 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 process between myself and and my predecessor. Yeah, which I expected going in, to be honest, which was again another another attraction.
0: Okay, and so yeah, your predecessor uh, Andrew Jackson. There is, I think, he's been staying on for a couple of months. Yeah, he's like, still away yeah. he
1: there. Yeah. I mean, what what have you what have you been doing during that time? Yes, well, so I, I think the the view, I view very much was that you know I should obviously you know transition the make it own yeah to how to how I want to and and, and I did that. You know pretty much from day day one as as, as soon as i could really so that by kind of early november I, I i kind of had it where i wanted it but andy's very much around and available from particularly from a from a sort of stock selection perspective you know there's quite a few holdings in the fund that you know i, I spent a bit of quite a bit of time on looking at during during gardening leave yes yeah. you know, some of his ideas that that i you know didn't own previously but you know, wanted to look at anyway, and quite a lot of those I've decided to stick with, and interestingly, it's been very helpful. Can you, can you give any, you know, standout examples of those? Um, yeah, there's, a, there's some in the, uh, in the, in the, in the sort of support services space, um, companies like, um, like Mighty, um, which is a facilities management company, Galliford um, you know, uh, which is a construction services company, uh, which I not looked at, um previously because uh, I, I, I i i kind of re reconsidered that sector and, and and did a review of it and and then sort of spoke a lot to andy about it and met quite a few of the companies again and i've I've kind of reassessed and reappraised my um you know the the, the sort of fundamentals and the attractions of that sector and i yeah um and so yeah i've, I've got some holdings there that i, di- I didn't have previously
0: yeah Interesting, and you mentioned you know the collegiate culture at Premier Mighton. So you've been you've been getting to know Gervais Williams and other people like that.
1: Yep, yep, yep. Definitely, definitely getting to know Gervais. Yeah, um, who's yeah uh, a really interesting character and a, and a great investor. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great. Well, um, before we come on to the portfolio more specifically, I mean, you, you 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 kind of espouse a value investing philosophy, but you're now running a fund which actually has value in the
1: name. I mean, what what's your definition of value investing? Yeah, I think. The the short answer is it's about trying to get something for nothing, not just something for cheap, something for nothing. Yeah, effectively, yeah. I mean, I explain what what I mean by that. Um, you know, and it, it can it can mean a number of different things. And, and if you go back to the, you know, the, the the original sort of literature on on value investing and all the various iterations of that over the years, people have interpreted it in, in different ways. Um, but you know, for me, what what it's about is a number of things. It, it can be about uh, heavily discounted cash flows uh, that are much more resilient than than the market thinks they are. Uh, it can be about underappreciated asset values um, or assets that maybe the stock market values in a certain way, but you know, other actors, um, you know, private market players or, or trade players may see very differently and, and, and value differently. And actually, it can also be about growth as well, which uh, kind of often surprises people. Uh, you know, I'm very, I, I like growth a lot. I just don't like to overpay for it. I like to get it for nothing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and actually, there's quite a lot of ideas around at the moment, which would, would uh, you know, fit fit that sort of um, classification, given some of the things that we've seen going on in the, in, in the markets, particularly in, in UK equities.
0: Yeah, and and do you start by screening for particular metrics, or, or is it a slightly
1: different approach? Um, I do use screens periodically, but I, I don't have a a particular screen that, you know, it, it, you know I'm not. I, it doesn't have to be on a you know a PE of under ten or a price to book of under one. I, I don't really see. it. I, I look at kind of every situation differently. I'm I'm more looking for specific types of mispricing, um, you know, reasons why there's a discrepancy between price and intrinsic value yeah. and it's often to do with cycles um it could be you know an economic cycle or an industry cycle uh where you know something in the real world uh, has, has 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 come along it's you know caused a change uh in a in the prospects of a business and the market has overreacted to that uh and you know created a you know opportunity to you know, to purchase the assets at a significant discount, often you have to take a, a longer time horizon than 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 the market is, and the most investors are to, to yeah. take advantage of those situations. Um, but I look for various different types of of that sort of mispricing, and then the idea is to blend it together in a portfolio so you can kind of diversify away some of the risks that are correlated, you know, across those.
0: Yeah, areas. and people often talk about catalysts. I mean, particularly I think when you talk about kind of mispriced assets. Is that is that something you think about a lot? Do you do you need a kind of specific, you know, light light at the end of the tunnel for one better phrase, or are you more happy just to kind of keep the faith? Well, I think I think
1: you do need to think about it, but I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm overly focused on it. I, like, you know, because it's quite frankly quite hard to to you know to really sort of predict you know exactly when the catalyst is going to come along. So if you take the you know the the asset value case, like you know sometimes you you know you you can see that there's a clear um, chance that a company may be taken over because you can see that the you know the value valuations in the stock market are very different to valuations elsewhere and there's you know accumulate evidence as to sort of why that you know may you know realize itself at some point but you never know exactly what, when it's going to happen yeah um, you just sort of almost need to trust that you know you you will get some of those and certainly that's an area that I've I've tended to get some help from in most years but it's usually not the companies I expect it to be it's usually it's, it's usually some other companies
0: yeah interesting and so um, I mean, we'll quickly mention your strong record on your old UK fund um, so you know Allianz UK listed opportunities uh, you know pick out some performance figures here for when when you left five years to the end of June you returned 43% versus 18% for the All share so quite strong outperformance there I suppose you know Value investing, there, there can be some kind of dogmas at play. Mm. You mentioned maybe some some of your competitors who say, we only buy stocks from a PE P ratio of under 10 or, or something like that. I suppose, you know, is there any way your approach has evolved in recent years or any kind of key lessons? Yeah, I think,
1: I think one of the main things that has changed for me over the years is I've, I've come to have much more appreciation and respect for things that I don't know. Um, you know, risks that you maybe can't quite understand or quantify uh, both at a, an individual stock level, but also at the portfolio level as well. Mm. Um, I mean, I think it, you know, in truth, I always thought I was looking at that, but I think if I go back to the early years, I was I probably was a bit naive and certainly didn't know a lot of what I know now. And a lot of it probably just comes with experience, frankly, uh, but it's also led me more to to, to, to place more emphasis on on certainly quality factors to do with the resilience of business models um and, and industry analysis uh, and also financial risk. And so it you're one of the reasons that the fund had done quite well even during the the sort of early part of that period that you mentioned when value was sort of very much in the doldrums yeah. and our favour was actually because of the, the the areas that we weren't in and, and and you know some of the sort of value traps especially that we, we avoided. Yeah. A lot of my process is actually about trying to make sure I avoid the value traps because it's one of the big, the big pitfalls and dangers of, of of a value investing approach is, is that you get sucked into investments that look cheap but they stay cheap, yeah, and not because there's no catalyst, but because because the business itself has has got a fundamental problem.
0: Okay, and where 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 do you think some of those value traps be it might be at the moment? You know, as you've been reassessing, wherever you're thinking. Yeah, actually, we you know, where, where do you fear to
1: drink? Well, I mean, historically, I mean, historically, I mean, examples of those sectors that we'd avoided historically would be things like, you know, the telecom sector would be would be one, which is an uh, an industry which you know, has often been you know, and today it's also seen very much as a sort of value sector, but you know, has no really no pricing power, and and you know, despite you know all the wondrous things the phone gives us and the you know, huge amounts of data we all use, they they've not been able to really. Mm. you know, capitalise on that and and if anything they're you know they've been competing their margins down lower and lower and so that's sort of why it's not really come through in, in to the benefit of shareholders. Um I think quite a lot of the retail sector I you know I also saw like that. However I'm I'm not I'm, I'm much more open minded about the retail sector today actually. I think that's an example of one where you know, there was a major structural problem to do with, you know, obviously online and and, and, and the overcapacity. Uh, in in bricks and mortar retail, but I think today we've got a situation where there's been a real reset, uh, sort of equalisation of the of the playing field. Uh, in the sense that you know a lot of the a lot of the online only companies have you know had to sort of find ways to move away from this sort of loss making business model to to try and actually make make money as the, the markets have sort of reassessed their prospects and you know interest rates have gone up. Um, but also the survivors um you know the, the companies like you know next the obvious one in the UK that have that are that are, are still here and and actually many of those are just as good or better at online yeah um and, and even the stores are starting some ways are actually you know quite useful because they're used as places for that um, customers can return items yeah um so i think it's quite different today so I, so my views do change over time as as and when you know the industry structures change and um, and and the opportunity set set changes. Similar thing with the banks industry. Banks industry, which uh, we avoided, um, you know, basically for the first ten years of, of running the fund at Allianz, and it was only shortly into the pandemic that we made our first investments into the into the bank sector, because uh, we felt that uh, the pressures, certainly from a regulatory and uh, capital perspective, that. had been so negative over the previous 10 years it had had really largely sort of gone away um and that that had kind of happened really by 2018 2019 and then the catalyst was the, you know the 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 recession the covid recession which brought all the valuations down to a very very attractive level despite the fact that you know the balance sheets were in much much better shape and so the downside risk was we just felt was nowhere near as high as was being applied by yeah by the valuations so so you know, my views do shift um, as and when things change, but I, I, I'm quite a it's quite a bottom up, fundamentally focused approach. And I I,
0: I must confess, looking at your old portfolio before and Andy's portfolio, I probably might have mixed them up in my head. Yeah. But I remember you were back backing a couple of the kind of smaller banks in the UK, maybe more niche lenders. Yeah. Is that that's yeah. something you've continued?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's still the case today. Yeah, I I think that uh, the some of the the smaller lenders. Tend to have a better. They find it easier to find niches within the market where they can make good returns on equity without having to rely on uh, on on interest rates going up. And, and I think particularly this year, where, where we've had this, where interest rates have gone up, and most most investors have wanted to buy the sort of high street banks because they're the obvious beneficiaries of that. And I kind of understand that. Um, and you know, when we, you know, we 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 had some holdings there as well that benefited from that. Uh, but that is a very competitive space, and and actually there there are quite a few um, sort of smaller niche lens companies like you know One Savings Bank, Paragon, you know Close Brothers. Some of those we hold now, some of them we held held in the previous fund. Um, they all kind of have sort of similarities in the sense that they 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 they're able to make good returns on equity even in kind of almost whatever the interest rate environment is, and that's to me a a more more valuable sort of business franchise yeah um, but yeah they they often trade at sort of similarly depressed valuations
0: yeah and i mean how much do you think about uh inflation and interest rates and macro factors like that yeah i'll say you you mentioned before we started talking that you were <laughs> pleased in the transition uh, from one job to another that you'd miss the rather calamitous mini budget
1: yes yes yeah september september's yeah often uh yeah period when when uh, i i was also uh during during lehman brothers i was it was the one time during my career when i was completely off the grid i was i was uh up, up on a hill in ecuador and i had no idea what was going on until after i came back from that holiday so it seems to seem to be quite good at avoiding <laughs> uh, but um no ma- macro in, in general generally I, I look i obviously you can't really avoid it but some people you know, sort of say they don't look at macro but i think you you have to be aware of what's going on and particularly from a risk perspective you know, how, yeah. how can it you know how can different macro scenarios impact you know the business models that you're investing in and the you know the balance sheets and the potential sort of damage that can do um, but i think in terms of of you know looking for investment ideas and mm-hmm. potential mispricing i'm i'm more of a micro guy i think i think you can get more out of the the micro analysis of of industries and Let let me give an example of what one mean yeah. by that so Take the situation at the moment. We, we you know, we're, we're heading into a downturn. We're probably already in a recession in the UK. Kind of everybody knows this. You know, it's 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 sort of plastered all over the newspapers every day, and you can see it in the valuations of, of cyclical companies. Um, what's quite interesting, or what I think is very interesting, is when you go through various cyclical industries, the sorts of industries that you would typically expect to do very badly in a recession. What you find is that quite a lot of them are actually operating. Well below peak levels of capacity um, and demand, uh, and that's because yeah we're still in the shadow of COVID uh, and the impacts that COVID has had. Uh, it's sort of I think people sort of feel like we're past it, but I, I don't think we are. I still mm. think it's I still think it's it's impacting lots of sub industries in different ways what, what, what well like for matter? example like you know in the industrial sector the automotive industry the mm. uh, volumes in the automotive industry are still down some sort of 15% plus from the peak that they got to in 2019 um so are you know and it's not I mean if I think you have to go back to sort of 2013 2014 to get to the sort of level that we're at the moment in terms of industry volumes and that's because the industry's struggling to supply demand there's very long lead times for anybody that wants to buy a new car um so there's a you know there, there, there isn't really a demand problem it's a supply problem because they can't get the semiconductors and they can't you know they've had, they've had supply chain issues now that's typically been a been a very cyclical industry and i'm not saying that it either you know demand for cars isn't going to be impacted by a recession i mean of course it will i'm just pointing out that we're not starting from from a level that's you know, what you would typically expect to see at the top of the business cycle where there's a, a long way to fall. Um, and so that means I think the downside is actually lower than, than 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 it would normally be and certainly what is implied by the sort of, kind of what would be the, the sort of simple view. Yeah. And there are other areas that are very, you know, more directly impacted by COVID, um, particularly, uh, say, the, the travel industry, uh, which has gone for basically three years without having a sort of proper period of trading uh, even this year, uh, you know, it was sort of impacted by other, you know, um, other factors. Even though demand did come back, and there's there's a lot of opportunities, I think, in that industry to to find companies that sort market leading businesses that are just going to massively benefit from, you know, when the the sort of recovery in that industry and the fact that so many weaker players have have dropped off and. And, and fallen by the wayside. Yeah, uh, and there's quite a few. I mean, I could go on. There's, there's a lot of other examples of this. And so, yeah, so I, I I are mean, there any yeah. particular ideas that stand out in those kind of camps? Yeah, well, I think I mean, in in I mean, I mean, industrial company Melrose is an interesting business. I mean, that that's got that has both aerospace, which is another example, because the aerospace industry is, you know, had to very much trench during during the COVID period, and and now the platforms are on a multi-year. Sort of ramp back up to full, yeah, you know, full capacity, and, and they they their aerospace business is going to benefit from that. And I don't think that's going to stop just just because we have a recession next year. Obviously, we also have an automotive business as well. Um, I think in the in the travel space, um, you know, some of the some of the market leaders, companies like Jet2, Air, um, they've continued to invest in their businesses during during the last two or three years, and I think are very well placed to benefit from that um, in the years to come. And you know, you know, travel. Yeah, of course, you know, it's 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 cyclical to some extent. People, consumers, if they're, you know, if they lose their jobs or are struggling, you know, they they may trade down. They may take a short holiday. They, you know, but they don't tend. The holidays do tend to still happen. Um, and you know, it's, it's not you know, it's 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 not a kind of super cyclical part of the market.
0: Yeah, and I, I suppose you know, coming on to a couple of other sectors. I mean. You know, some quite large positions in resources stocks had, had paid off for you already while you're at Allianz this year. Is that something? You're
1: yeah. Well, that's another example actually of the the the, the sort of micro versus macro um, discussion we we were having earlier. Where I, yeah. I found in those sectors that a lot of people tend to look at it from a macro perspective, and the, including a lot of people who don't like to invest in it, they tend to sort of say, "Oh, it's just a macro view. It's a call on the copper price, or the or or the gas price, or the oil price." Um, I, that, and that it is that tends to be more of a sort of demand side focus in that you think about the macro and how that affects the demand and therefore how the demand will affect the, the price of the commodity i've always found in that industry that it's the understanding of the supply side is much more important and much more significant from a from an investment point of view because these the, the supply side tends to go on very long cycles kind of up and down you get a lot of investment at, for many many years, uh, and then you get periods of oversupply and overcapacity, and and the investment all drops off, and and that's when it gets interesting from an investment point of view, because you you know it takes very long time to correct periods of of under underinvestment, which is what we've gone through, I think, in, over the last sort of five to ten years, both in the energy sector, but also in 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 sort of resources and mining more more generally. Um, when you overlay on that the demands of you know ESG and the energy transition um the the you know, the demands for some of these certainly on the commodity side are, are actually going to go up rather than down yeah um it, it creates a pretty interesting backdrop for mm. for um you know for investors I think
0: okay interesting i mean yeah i think as you say people sometimes maybe accuse others of you know, investors in resource of stocks, of, of having a crystal ball and saying they know what's going to happen to oil
1: prices in the next six months or yes, something. I, mean, no. I, I wouldn't they say I, I, but you're saying it's much yeah. more about identifying longer trends. It's long, yeah, long-term and also also understanding the supply side because mm. the demand tends to be, you know, yes, it goes up and down with, with the economy, but, and some, some things are more cyclical than others. So, you know, copper is obviously more, the demand is more cyclical there than it is for, say, oil. Uh, which you know tends to be more that goes into sort of more defensive type activities, um, but the supply is the supply is when is when you get the really big downward and upward moves, uh, and and as I say, it's just it, it, you know the, the the supply crunch that we've that we're seeing happening in the energy industry. I mean, I think was identifiable two or three years ago. Um, it's just that it's you know it takes a while for it to sort of work through. Yeah, um, and I think we're. We're going to see something similar happening in 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 some of the other commodity markets as well. And what do you think about a yeah. price cap on Russian oil? <laughs> have,
0: you, have you paid much
1: attention to that? Um, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm 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 aware of it. I mean, I think it's I, mean, I think it's quite difficult to actually know exactly how that's going to play out in practice. Because right. I mean, what's going to go on behind the scenes in terms of sort of what Russia may or may not do to try and get around it? Yeah. I wouldn't claim to have any more insight on that than fair enough, and than than most people would
0: okay a big area area for you before had been tobacco you uh you know imperial brands british american tobacco has that found a, a place in the new fund
1: no it hasn't um and i think th- that was a very good example a couple of years ago of of a a real stark mispricing that was in part i think driven by some of the regulatory changes that happened actually in in you know, in, in the sort of asset management industry, the the sustainability regulations that came in had a big impact in Europe and and actually forced a lot of funds to sell out. Basically, right, blanket, like, yeah, so yeah. Either they had to sell out or they couldn't buy any more if they held them. Which is not quite bad, but it's also quite it also has an impact because you take a sort of natural buyer out. I and mean, so you had this this very strange situation where you had sort of one of the most defensive, actually predictable business models most profitable business models in the world um trading at sort of four or five time pe valuations um for the the uk companies uh which you know know, we we could buy those streams of cash flows on the assumption that you need to assume that basically there were going to be nobody was going to be you know the the whole industry was going to disappear basically within about seven or eight years to 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 get to the valuations um which just seemed way too way too extreme uh and was completely out of line with what bond market was saying at the same time about the pricing of the the bonds of imperial brands and um uh, imperial uh, and and british american tobacco mm. uh today i think um I, i'm not saying they're overvalued i just don't i don't you know, they've done pretty well they're they're up sort of 50 60 70 percent or so um depending on where you, where you measure it from but but you know the valuations are nowhere near as low as they were uh, and you know they you know, The volumes are still going down um in fact the volume declines have have accelerated a bit in the recent years, so mm. you know the the pressure is there
0: but but that but that's so so you're not buying into them for investment reasons rather than worried about but you know uh about annoying existing in
1: premier and investors uh no it's not no it's it's not really to do with, yeah no it's not that it's it's more okay. driven by more driven by the, the basically the, the the way that I value them, I, I've mm. never I've I've always been pretty penal in the valuation approach I provide to them because I do think it's I do think it's an activity that you know I mean as we said it's declining and it is mm. gonna I know they've got they they're looking to sort of diversify into well, they are diversifying into lower risk products which I think is a good thing um, but it's that's still relatively small uh, and there's still some question marks around quite how that you know, what those products will look like in terms of, you know, the the size of the market and the the profitability in particular.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, A kind of last sector that'd be interesting to talk about and ties into a lot of what you've been saying, I think, is uh, house builders, uh, which, you know, you've been a backer of, uh, Andy Jackson's been a backer of, and I'm I'm sure they're they're, they're in the fund still. Um, I mean, what are the prospects like as the UK housing market, you know, finally starts to, to cool off?
1: Yeah, it's a, oh, no, I, clearly in the short term, the outlook's going to be quite challenging. Mm. And there's no, I don't think I'm saying anything mm. particularly controversial there because um, we we can see that there's going to be there already is some pressure on house, the house prices themselves, uh, and you know they're still dealing with some cost inflation that's sort of carrying through from from this year and will probably carry through into next year. So I think you put that together, there's going to be a, a margin squeeze next year uh but again it, it's it been that's something that's quite well known about and and like a lot of companies in this sort of consumer space in the uk the the market has been quite sort of forward or at least the analysts have been quite uh that's especially something that's changed in the time that from when I when I left to when I joined, is that the analysts have kind of tried to now get ahead of the curve and 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 sort of downgrade all the forecasts for next year year ahead. Now I'm not saying with the house builders there, there isn't more downgrades to come there, there maybe because they are they are very sensitive to to you know what warehouse prices land in the short term. And what my point my point would be more that I'm not sure they're really the market's really going to value them on the basis of of what the earnings per share figure ends up being next year. Um, One of the reasons I kind of like the sector historically is because I felt that, well, a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think it's from a structural perspective. I've not had to really worry about the sort of structural issues that were often apparent in some of the other areas of the consumer. Like you know, we'd mentioned retail earlier, um, banks, and you know, kind of. There's a lot of areas that had kind of structural with housing. It's sort of the basic product is something that you know, it's it's a it's shelter it's kind of you know it's a necessity uh and also there there is pretty good evidence i think that we're, we're undersupplied in this in this country uh, on on housing given sort of household formation and and, and housing demand yeah so you know that's and, and then they're quite easy to value as, as as companies you know because you you know you you sort of know what you're buying you're basically buying a stock of stock of land work in progress um you know you kind of to sort of almost make an assumption about, you know that, you know that stock of land and work in progress and the you know, the amount of time it takes to build out the houses, and you can come up with a reasonable estimate for what what the actual asset value is. Of, yeah, and then uh, you yeah, know see there's the book value or the tangible NAV which people look at, but you, you can also do you know sort of build out values where you you know put explicit house price assumptions in to see where you are. And I, I just think what's what's being discounted. Um, it is a lot more severe than what is likely to happen. A little bit like the situation with the with the banks in 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 the pandemic, which we talked about earlier. Yeah, uh, and then the other factor I, I just mentioned is that even if I'm even if I'm wrong and it is you know, that house prices do fall by enough to justify where the prices are today and they don't recover, which is an important point that you need to also assume. The big difference today between where we were in. Uh, the top of the cycle in two thousand and seven is the balance sheets. Right. So pre pre the financial crisis, this sector, the listed sector, had several billion of debt on the balance sheet. Today, you can reverse the sign; There's several billion of net cash. Um, so they're really the financial risk is really, I suppose, maybe one or two of the companies. They're none of They don't really have any financial risk. So mm. you, you're probably not looking at. You know serious impairment of value here uh the risk is that you know they they maybe just sort of don't don't work in the short term as, as stocks,
0: yeah, and I think you back red row any others, and I guess a quick word on on the case for those
1: well I' just, look i mean I, I think given where we are at the moment and you know where what the market is concerned about and where valuations are i, I honestly think it's that you yeah, we've got to be realistic, they're probably all gonna work or not work together. But I do think there are some there are some differences over the longer term um between them. And I generally my generally had a preference for the the, the, the sort of more mid cap house builders because I think that the likes of sort of Bellway, retro, um they they have the they, they have the benefits that the larger companies have in terms of access to the large sites. Um uh, and and you know national coverage which is what you need uh and and the, the the large land banks which is what you need to be able to make the good returns on equity if you're just doing you know small sites here or there it's much harder to to generate the good returns but they're small enough that they actually have um reasonable growth potential on a medium term view and that they can they have you know new regions that they can go into or new you right. outlets that they can open which is less the case for the the larger FTSE 100 ones, which are, they've generally been more focused just on sort of generating cash, really and returning cash to shareholders, which is fine. But I, you know, I, I've you can get a bit more growth. You can, and, and in the true. market's never really priced this. Many the, those the big ones are usually generally traded at a discount, despite mm-hmm. the fact that they actually have this have this growth. I think it's because investors in the sector have tended to focus more on you know cash flow now and dividends, and buybacks now. Whereas I sort of tended to see it more from the point of view of, you know, if, if, you're, if you're generating a, a pretty good return on capital employed over the cycle, then, you know, why not reinvest some of that to try and grow?
0: Yeah. Now, I probably should have asked this one after you haven't your philosophy of what value investing is. But I suppose, you know, as we come towards the end, if you, could you summarise, I suppose, well, firstly, why UK value stocks in general? And, and then, you know, why now?
1: Yeah. Well, I suppose, it, uh, yeah, you know, mentioned earlier kind of the, value investing being about sort of trying to get something for nothing Mm. uh what you find you know in investing is that you know the market mr market as benjamin graham you'd like to call him you know at some points in time you know there there isn't that you know the opportunity set isn't that great because you know the, the the market's feeling quite optimistic and things are generally quite highly priced but then there are other times when you know there's no shortage of 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 that sort of opportunity and it tends to be sort of you know from one extreme to the other and the case for for you know uk equities and uk value investing right now is just that there is there is so much of that that sort of long-term opportunity around and it's basically, because of the low valuation yes yeah, it's, it's it's the the, yeah, the low valuations across the board but also the kind of lack of financial risk like you, you don't you need to take on that many yeah know the, the the risks that you're taking on are not like they were pre, previous certainly kind of in the time that i've done this, I. I you know, I, you can buy pretty good quality companies, you know, with, you know, rock solid balance sheets and good long term prospects at the sorts of valuations that have only really been around in sort of GFC and maybe briefly after sort of the Brexit referendum. They're kind of, you know, really sort of fairly extreme points in time. Um, and it's because, you know, the sentiment's obviously very negative, as we know. Uh, yeah, time horizons have have, have radically shortened. People are, you know, very concerned about what may happen in the next sort of three to six months. Understandably, uh, but that does tend to also create the create these 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 sorts of longer term mispricing. And also, I think the technical aspect I think is important. The the flows, um, right, persistent out- outflows. Yeah, and, and that's particularly impacted the mid mid and small cap end of the market mm. um, because that's generally where the 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 funds that the money has come out of tends would be overweight or more heavily invested in that that part of the market right um, so it's created quite a lot of dysfunction and and, and mis- mispricing and so that's 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 the reason really I you know I'm I'm not gonna I'm not going to sort of make the case that the outlook for the UK economy is necessarily any better than it is for you know Europe or other parts of the world I think we've got challenges we we clearly clearly we do um, but I don't think there are necessarily any any worse than many other parts of the world. You know, there may be some areas where they're where them where they're worse, but there are probably some also some areas where where you know where they're better. You know, we, we have good there are good things about this country and this economy and, and the stock market as well. Um yeah. and I, I think they'll those things will probably come back into focus again when we get through this period and um and and there is, you know, people can sort of look look beyond the next sort of six to twelve months.
0: Yeah. And well, the, the you know the FTSE 100 has actually held up relatively well compared to lots of other yeah. indices this year, albeit that's been driven by not because of the UK economy, Well, <laughs> some of the resources companies yeah. we mentioned yeah. earlier, which you know often yeah. active managers tend to underweight a bit. I mean, what what are your thoughts for 2023? Uh, continued UK performance? Well, I think
1: I I, I mean I, I'm always a bit wary about sort of giving a, you know a view on sure, sort of the broader range, the, the broader market because because it is so. You know so it's it's you know i mean it's 70 80 percent overseas earnings and and that's the reason why it's done well well this year is because you know yeah a lot of a lot of those earnings have come from outside the uk and they're also sectors you say like resources which have which have held up pretty well um i mean i do think but as we discussed you know you know a lot of those areas are still um pretty interesting but i also think quite a lot of the you know the 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 more kind of mid and small cap end of the market and the, 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 this my old fund and this fund is is heavily weighted towards that end of the market uh, and and quite a lot in the, in the domestic area of the market as well I think you know there's a, a lot of as we discussed very very interesting opportunities at that end of the market which is more and that's if if, if I'm right about that that will manifest itself more in the strong performance of the you know the mid two fifty and the and the and the FTSE small cap indices rather than the FTSE one hundred yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's how I see it. I, I, I'd say I don't tend to sort of spend too long worrying about what the benchmark may or may not do. I just try to put the best ideas in the portfolio and in, a, in a sort of sensible way and just sort of trust that the results will take care of themselves.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, last quick investment one from me. I mean, w- when you were running Brunner, you used to invest globally, you know. Are you, you going to miss investing in global stocks at all? Yeah,
1: I am. I am going to miss it. Yeah, I am. It, it was a great experience. Um, you know, fantastic trust really good team managing it um and I, I think it will continue to do could do very well i just i just you know the reality is i i you know there's only 24 hours in the day yeah and, and i realized that you know i needed to I thought I, 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 okay. I was going to have to yeah as we discussed at the outset you know I, I needed to go back to sort of focusing on the sure the thing that I'm I'm you know I think I'm good at and I can add value at
0: yeah okay and I guess last question then we're into the portion where you know we find out a bit more about what you do outside fun management but I'm going to selfishly zoom in on something I'm interested in I've read you're rather interested in chess is that right
1: yeah I do I'm yeah I'm a, I'm a, a keen chess player and an interested amateur uh, I did play a lot when I was younger um sort of started around about sort of six six or seven a lot of tournaments and that kind of yeah yeah a lot of a lot of tournaments as, as a junior um I, and i mean I, I sort of you know stopped then for quite a long time and then took it up again and I, I do sort of still still play today there are some some similarities you know with, with with investing sort of how you think about you know sort of risk and sort of waiting kind of when to be offensive and when to be defensive um and the sort of balancing them off you know in, 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 at the same time uh, and obviously some differences as well <laughs> chess is a perfect information game which whereas investing isn't yeah uh, but but uh yeah why well,
0: are you a player are you well i used to well again i used to play quite a lot when i was a kid but yeah. not not anymore so i'll uh yeah we'll we'll, sp- we'll spare the listeners <laughs> to uh you know be challenging you or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thanks very much, Matthew. Um, That's all we've got time for, I think. So, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Thanks. Well, I hope we can speak soon as well. And last thing to say from me is thanks very much uh, to everyone listening. Please look out for more Fun Fanatic Show podcasts soon and in the new year.